Sing it now.
probably seen the combines at work. It's time to bring in the harvest. And this time of harvest has led us into a conversation of, of, of what dirty work looks like in the life of the church. We need to get our hands dirty to go out, to, to anticipate, to be part of the harvest. And there's this, a line in that song that I just that just gets me every time. The world dying to meet you. Whether they realize it or not, if they have not yet met him, that is in fact what is happening spiritually. We're dying to, to meet him, to meet God, to meet Jesus. What's our response as a church? Dare we do as the song commands us to pray that we would be more like Jesus? Can we think about that for just a moment? I think as, as, as Christians, as people who come to church, as people of faith, that's an easy thing for us to say out loud. But I, I'd be willing to admit, I find that difficult at times. Be like Jesus. I can't do it on my own. Only through the help of the Holy Spirit, only through God's grace working in my life, can I be like Jesus. So as we go to prayer this morning, as we continue this dialogue of the harvest and what it means to care for lost people, and where that might take us, where God might lead us, we don't just come haphazardly into a place of worship and think that's just going to happen just because. We have to be intentional about it. We have to want it. We have to desire and be willing to sacrifice for it. We surrender ourselves. Truly really become like Jesus. As we pray today, as I pray for us this morning, I pray you'll join me. That'll be a prayer that we genuinely will lift up before the Lord this morning. God will help us become more like his son. That God can work in and through us to help those who are dying to meet him have that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done, what you are continuing to do in our lives, for the love, Lord, that you bestow upon us, that you have for us, that, that, that motivated you, Lord, to send your son to die for us. I pray, Father, that we would recognize you for for, for who you are and what that means and, and the depths of your love for us, Lord, and we would respond as, as those who truly recognize that only can. Surrender. The desire, Lord, to be all that you would want us to be, all you've created us to be. As the people would be willing to be inconvenienced. Lord, that you would lead us. We talk about that, Lord. We pray for your blessings. We pray, Father, that you would guide and direct us. But then, Lord, when you do, I wonder if at times we're hesitant. The things of this life, the, the, the patterns and the routines that we find ourselves in, the things we've grown comfortable with. God, I pray that we would slowly, step by step, come to the place where that song, the line of that song, Lord, the, the, the words that we see in your word, to be disciples of you, followers of you, God, would become a reality. More so today than yesterday. And tomorrow, Lord, we take one more step, Lord, and we would continue following in your footsteps, always in the process of becoming, at the same time being, allowing you, Lord, to use us wherever it is you have us. Lord, around us, Lord, there is a harvest with literal and figurative, Father, still today. And yet, what we read, Lord, the Gospels. In Matthew, Lord, you tell us that the workers were few then and they still are yet today. Because following you is not easy. But I want to pray in advance, Lord, today that you would just continue to stir our hearts.
Have your way among us. Lord, move us one step closer to becoming like Jesus. I lift up those this morning, God, that are hurting, those, that, Lord, that are grieving, those that are sick, Father, those that are carrying real burdens, Lord, this morning, you know what they are. Relationships, God, that are broken that need to be reconciled, Lord, for uncertainties that we're facing. For the anxiousness, God, that we're carrying, Lord, you know the situations that have led to them, that, that, that are behind them. We want to surrender them to you. We let go of this baggage that we carry, God, so that we create space for you to work and to speak to us this morning. We thank you for the good things you are doing. We see your hand at work. There are good days ahead of us. And what, Lord, you have in mind for this church. Thank you for the opportunity today to come and to worship. Father, we love you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We are glad you've uh, chosen to come today. I think you're going to enjoy what uh, we're, we're going to share with you this morning. Uh, as you know, we've been in this conversation the last couple of weeks about uh, anticipating the harvest, about what that looks like for us, about what God is doing. And often when we talk or have that type of conversation, you may think we talk about others. The reality is to have that conversation is allow God and create space for God to talk to us. The harvest is always going to be there. What's lacking is the workers. And we shared a couple of weeks ago that uh, the, the conversation begins not with what we decide to do, but rather what the Holy Spirit is doing in advance and what he's doing in our lives at the moment and where he's taking us. Last week, we discussed what it looked like to have spiritual conversations about preparing ourselves to always be ready with an answer, not just an answer of faith or being able to explain the gospel or, or outline the, the, the stops on the Roman roads of salvation, but what we were commanded in Scripture to be ready to give an answer as to the hope that we have. That's all God asks us to do, is be ready to tell others why we are people who are hopeful. And then he fills in the blanks. And the next part of our conversation, of, of getting our hands dirty, if you will, of anticipating the harvest, is recognizing that the harvest sometimes looks differently than we think. Sometimes takes us places that are uncomfortable, that are inconvenient. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the harvest and perhaps uh, in some ways, maybe the extremes parts of what that looks like, all in an effort to help God uh, open our eyes, if you will, to be able to see what's in front of us every day. We have a special guest today named Dwayne Mills. Dwayne is the executive director, did I get that right, of Appalachia Reach Out. Now you may say Appalachia. If you say Appalachia, you're incorrect. It's Appalachia. As, as, a, as someone who was raised in the Appalachians, uh, that resonates with me, and I, as you know, I'm a West Virginia kid. Uh, that, that's, that's who I am, and you voted for me anyway, so uh, here we are. And so you're going to hear a little bit about what God is doing in Appalachia. And Appalachia is a very broad term. It covers a lot of area and territory uh, geographically in our country, and I'm excited about what God is doing. I first heard about this about six years ago, and as Dwayne and I have had a chance to interact over the last several years together, we, we went to college together. So we've had a chance to interact through, through different um, general church and uh, regional functions. Every time we get together, he shares more stories with me. And I love hearing stories of what God is doing. So before I hand it over to him, I have one more story I want you to share. This is Johnny Dale's story. After we hear Johnny's story, Dwayne's going to come and share with us this morning. So glad you've chosen to worship with us today. It's a different type of service that fits right into what the Lord's been doing, the conversation we've been having. We've been talking about dirty work the past couple of weeks, and uh, dirty work in, in, in our context, in our community, uh, it refers to uh, the fields that you see planted all around us. 
In the spring, we talked about dirty work and how that was a time of preparation and how God was getting us ready to be used by him, to, to plant seeds, to sow seeds, if you will, uh, to be part of, of the watering, of the feeding, of the pulling of weeds. And now we have the second part of our conversation where we talk about the harvest and, and the harvest that's before us. And it's always going to be before us. Jesus told, tells us in Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and the workers are still few. He's still looking for those willing to be sent out into the harvest fields to be used by him. And our conversation began with this, this question of, uh, or this, this reality of recognition, if you will, that the Holy Spirit is the one who is in charge of, who goes before, who prepares, and who sends us to bring in the harvest. It's not work that we have to come up with on our own. The Holy Spirit leads us, goes before us, and if the Holy Spirit is going ahead of us preparing the way, why should we be afraid? We talked last week of what it looked like to have spiritual conversations. To always be prepared to give an account Scripture tells us to give an account, not, not to share the gospel necessarily, we hope we get to that point, not to share the finer points of, of, of the Roman road to salvation, but instead to give an account of the hope that we have. Do you have hope today? Are we hopeful people? We are hopeful people if we know Jesus Christ. That's where our story begins. That's where our hope begins. That's where our testimony begins is in him. Then God fills in the blanks as the Holy Spirit leads us to others who need to hear our story of hope. God's really good at that. He's not going to send you somewhere where you're not equipped or prepared, where he can't be glorified, where others can't come to know him through what we have to say. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what the harvest looks like. I think at times we could get confused. We might uh, not really have a full understanding of what the harvest is that's right in front of us. So today and next week and the week beyond, we're going to talk about what those fields might or how they might present themselves I look forward to seeing what God's going to do in us as he helps us open our eyes to see people as he sees them. He's going to make us uncomfortable. He might even inconvenience us. But if we truly are a church or people that anticipate the harvest, we're not going to be afraid of where he might send us. Good days are ahead. God's doing some wonderful things in our church. He's preparing us, not just for our immediate present, but for our future. I look forward to sharing more details with you about that in the coming weeks. All of those things tie together in this conversation we're having about getting our hands dirty. So today we have a special guest with us. His name is Dwayne Mills. He's the executive director of Appalachia Reach Out. Uh, Dwayne and I have known each other for about 25 years, uh, almost 30. That's kind of sad for us to say. We don't feel like we're that old. But uh, we've had a chance to interact over the years in ministry uh, through uh, denominational work. I was also a regional work uh, through, through Mount Vernon Nazarene College slash university. And every time I meet Dwayne, he's sharing new stories about what God is doing in his life. And I wanted you to hear his story today. And as he comes, before he comes, we're going to hear another story, though, from Johnny Dale of what um, God is doing in Johnny's life. It's going to set the table for what Dwayne has to share with us this morning. I guess uh, I would have to say uh, I grew up in Martin County here. By the time I was 16, I was addicted to all types of medicine. They was paying my way into pill doctors, my uncle was. For, for the pills, just, you know, he would take all the pain pills and he'd give me some nerve pills and I'd go crazy for a week at a time. But uh, I got on meth and uh, meth took my sanity. I lost all sense of reality. It took me to the darkest place in my life where as far as bad stuff, there isn't anything I haven't done. 
and I really didn't care. I had so many enemies, and you were done run over every good person that would help you, and like, I just loved me, but it took me to a place. I was just miserable, miserable, and I got so miserable, and uh, enough to change my life. I'm so thankful for that low point because if things would have just, if I would have skipped by, I don't think I would have ever realized uh, you had, I had to lose it all to uh, decide to change. I was born and raised in Martin County, and so I have a lot of great memories in Eastern Kentucky and Martin County. But on the other end, it's also the place in 1964 where President Johnson came and declared the war on poverty. So it's been a very impoverished place, and people have sensationalized just what happens here and have put labels on people here. Probably the thing that breaks my heart the most as I see our people is the way they're portrayed outside of this community, because probably some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life, probably some of the most wisest people I've ever met in my life, live in these hills and hollers. And so my desire has always been, I want to tell the good things of what happens here. Arrow's mission is to be Christ's love in action in all that we do. Arrow focuses in three areas. One is education. Uh, the other piece is addiction. Um, I don't know of a family in Martin County whose life has not been impacted by the abuse and use of drugs and alcohol. And then of course the third area is bringing in short-term mission teams. Uh, we call it work and witness teams uh, because it's not just about coming in and working, it's about witnessing the love and the hope of Christ as they're here to serve alongside of us. I had a friend, and I got a message from her, and that's how I was doing, and she's like, you need to go to rehab. And I was like, you tell them to call me and I'll go. I left a couple days later. I hated it the first 20 days, and then that's when I ended up uh, at Celebrate Recovery in a rehab, and uh, I was having a service similar to last night, and some guys like, you ought to go up there and pray. And I wanted to, but uh, I had a chip on my shoulder where I was a tough guy, and it cost me a lot of hard time being a tough guy. After I went to the altar and prayed, I caught myself the next day in group, uh, feeling pity for strange people that I didn't even know about their struggles, and that was weird to me because I, I never had a heart. So for nobody but myself, it benefited me. Just one prayer. and and my feelings toward myself and the world changed. When I was a kid, I can remember ARO coming to my house and painting it. Actually, Dwayne and his crew put the roof on like uh, before my father passed away. They fixed the floors and uh, they're coming back to fix some more. <laughs> this is a poor community and they've served so many people, like so many people that I know, so many people that I don't know, they're such a blessing to all this community. I want our people to be seen in such a way that um, when people come here to serve alongside of us, that they literally leave changed because of what people have spoken into their lives, the people that live here. That's the story I try to tell people, that this is a place that literally when you come in and experience it will change your life if you'll come in and with an open heart. Good morning. 
Do you believe that God is still in the business of redeeming, restoring, and transforming lives? You're a little bit more awake than that early service. That's good. That's a good thing. But we believe that God is still in the business of redeeming, restoring, and transforming lives. That's his work. That's what he does. And uh, you heard a little bit of one of my dearest friends' story, Johnny Dell, who's been clean and sober. September, he celebrated four years. Uh, since the video we, we did, he has since gotten both of his children back. Landon, who's now a freshman at Martin County High School, and Bella, who's in third grade at Eden Elementary School. I'll never forget the day that uh, I was pastoring uh, Turkey Creek Church of the Nazarene. I'll share a little bit of our story in just a moment. But he came in on uh, Easter of 2018-19 uh, uh, and uh, was, was stoned out, just totally, but came in because his dad was there. And I've known Johnny Dale for a long time. And when uh, we showed up, I uh, began to talk to him a little bit before service started. And he looked at me and he said, he said preacher, down there they don't call you pastor, they call you preacher. And they said, uh, Preacher, I, uh, I'm a bad man. And I said, Johnny Dale, you're not a bad man. You've made some bad decisions. But point a person out in this sanctuary today that has not made a bad decision. Amen. We've all been there. We've all lived on that street. It wasn't long after that that Johnny Dale got into a residential men's treatment facility uh, with a ministry called Addiction Recovery Care that we partner with that now has over 40 facilities in the state of Kentucky are opening up two facilities in Ohio and one in Virginia. God's blessing that ministry that we partner with. Johnny Dale got his life back together, and it's been amazing to see what God is doing through his life. But we really believe that God is doing that work. He continues to do that work. And uh, God is not changed. He's still a God that does the impossible. Where we think things are impossible, he comes in and he shows up. And I'm so thankful for that today. So it's great to be here in Marysville, Ohio. Even though I was born and raised in eastern Kentucky, uh, I have roots in Ohio. Uh, my mom is from Crawford County, Bucyrus, Ohio area. And uh, I went to Mount Vernon Nazarene College back in the day. That was close to 30 years. You're right. You said 25. I wished it was 25. It was 30 years ago. I uh, went to Mount Vernon and met my wife there who's from Circleville, Ohio. And uh, we've been married now a little bit over 28 years with four kids. And, um, and so it's always good to be back in Ohio. I guess this would kind of be considered my second home uh, to some degree. We were married here in Ohio and lived in Mount Vernon for a little bit after we got married. And so it's good to be back here in Ohio today. I want to ask you a question this morning. And the question is a question that I think we have to ask ourselves on an individual level, but also... Uh, as uh, also corporately as a church and that question is this are we willing to put our yes on the table and allow God to ask the question I know for me it can be very difficult because I like to have things figured out I like to hear the question first and then I'm going to give you a response but the way Jesus works is he says I want all of you I want everything about you every aspect of your life and so for us to truly be giving ourselves to him completely we have to put our yes on the table and then allow him to ask the question that's so extremely important and I want to share with you a passage of scripture this morning that I feel like is extremely important I don't have time to go through the whole passage of Psalm 138 
but I would encourage you to read it in your devotional time. There's a lot of promises in those eight verses, but the eighth verse says this, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. It doesn't say might or could, but the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love endures forever, O Lord. He cares for you today. He has a plan for your life. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter your background or your situation, no matter what you're walking through in this very moment, God has a plan for your life. As long as you're living, God has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter what the adversary will come in and tell you because we know, as John 10, 10 says, that Satan comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. But it goes on to say, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full that you might have it more abundantly. And either we believe those words of Scripture or we don't. And so I want to share with you a little bit of our story, but my hope is that Christ will prick your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit in these next few moments. The good thing is I'm not confined to a time frame like I am in the first service. So a pastor said, hey, you got about 30 minutes or so in the first service. He pretty much said, uh, you just take whatever time you want in the second service. No, he didn't say that. Um, so I'm, I'm sensitive to the time, but I believe that we have gathered here on purpose today that this is a time where we come in so God can speak to us through his holy word. And even though I'll be sharing a little bit of our story, this is not just about the work and ministry of Appalachia Reach Out. My heart is this, and my prayer has been this week as I've been preparing and planning for our time together, that your heart would be open and receptive to whatever God would speak into your heart. Because I believe he's always moving us closer to him in our walk with him. And so that passage of scripture is so important for you to understand that God will fulfill his purpose. And uh, this passage of scripture really spoke to me in a time when we were wrestling with a call, when God began to call our family from where we were to where we are today. Uh, we were serving at Olivet Nazarene University in 2011. My wife was the director of counseling and health services, and I was the dean of students, and, and that began to feel like home for us. We had been there six, about six years at the time, and you know, it's hard to take a, a boy from the Appalachian Mountains and put him just a little bit south of Chicago. That's like a whole different world. And it was beginning to finally feel like home. We had just had our fourth child, Cora Emily, and uh, life was good, and we just began the academic year in uh, 2011, and uh, we had gathered for chapel on the campus of Olivet Nazarene University. It was about a year before that that we had built the Centennial Chapel, and I was seated in the nosebleed section of that chapel, and uh, we had a guest speaker in chapel that day, September the 6th, I'll never forget it, of 2011. Uh, our speaker for that day, a man by the name of Dr. Tony Campolo. Italian guy, very animated. I told the first service that folks learn not to sit in the front row because there would be projectiles that would come out when he would preach. I think you're okay today. You're far enough away from me. Um, and, uh, but if you know anything about Dr. Campolo, he gets extremely animated, and so I'm not even going to come close to how he was speaking that day. But he was telling a story about a, a girl that had graduated from Eastern University, a university in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She was an education major, and she had uh, been accepted in a teaching high prestigious school in the suburbs of Philadelphia, been accepted, hundreds of applications, three positions. She was selected, and she was excited to come back 
to Eastern University and tell Dr. Campolo this story. And as they were meeting in his office, as he was sharing that morning in chapel to us this story, he said she picked up on the fact a few minutes into the conversation, and it was mostly her talking, that he wasn't as excited as what she thought he should be. Have you ever had those conversations? When you were excited about something and you picked up on the fact that someone wasn't as excited as what you thought they should be? And she stopped in mid-conversation as he shared with us and looked at him and said, Dr. Campolo, are you not excited for me? He said, I'm happy that you have a teaching position. He said, but I'll be honest with you today. He said, my greater concern is this, that there are over 200 open teaching positions in the inner city of Philadelphia where Jesus needs to go. And the fact that you would not look there concerns me. And then he stopped and he made this statement. He said this, why would you be in a place where God could use anyone? Why wouldn't you go to a place where he can only use you? And in that moment, the Lord spoke two words into my spirit. Those two words were Martin County. Now, for most folks, Martin County doesn't mean a whole lot, but you saw on the video, it's Martin County, Kentucky. It's a little county on the Kentucky-West Virginia state line. That little red spot, that's the furthest right on the state, uh, the, the map there of Kentucky. A place where I was born and raised and has always been home for me. Uh, my grandfather, who had a fifth-grade education, learned to read by reading the Bible, was a coal miner. He would go and board away in the coal mines of West Virginia, be gone all week in a coal camp, and he would come home on the weekends, and he would help pastor a church, a church that he helped found. You see, in 1950, there was a little clapboard Methodist church that sat on Turkey Creek. Turkey Creek flowed into the Tug River, which separated Kentucky and West Virginia, and this little clapboard church was on the circuit, which basically meant a Methodist minister would come in once a month on like the third Sunday of the month and hold a service and wouldn't be back until the next month. And my grandfather with both great-grandmothers and three other people felt like there needed to be a holiness presence every day of the week in that little community called Turkey Creek. And so in 1950, my, grandmother, or my grandfather with both of my great-grandmothers and three others went to Ashland, Kentucky. And back in those days, it was an all-day trip. Now it's about a 50-minute trip. And they purchased that little Methodist church for $175 and brought it into the Nazarene church. And for the last 73 years, there's been over 30 men and women called into ministry out of that church, a sending church, because there were a few people who stepped out on faith and said yes to Jesus. You see, their yes was already on the table when Christ asked the question. So on that Tuesday morning in, in uh, September of, of 2011, when, when the Holy Spirit spoke Martin County into my spirit, I didn't say anything to my wife that day. The next day was Wednesday, and in those days we lived for 8 o'clock at night, right, Mom and Dad? Amen. Preach, yes. We put our kids to bed, and Emily, our youngest, was just a couple of months old. Our oldest, Ethan, was in fifth grade at that time. And we put them to bed and went downstairs, and usually I'm watching some kind of sport. But Bethany and I were sitting in the living room, and I turned the television off, and I looked back at her, and I said, I said, I need to tell you something. And she said, it wouldn't happen to be something that happened yesterday, would it? And I said, it is. She said, it wouldn't happen to be something that Dr. Campolo said in his message to us. I said, yep. She said, it wouldn't happen to be this, and then repeated verbatim what I just shared with you. 
And she looked at me with tears streaming down her face, and she said, God's calling you to Turkey Creek, which is that small little community in Martin County. And I looked back at her with tears streaming down my face, and I said, I'm not sure what this means. I said, well, I feel like we need to begin to pray about it. There's no way we can leave now. School just began. We would have to finish out into next spring because we wouldn't leave the university in that kind of a situation. I said, but let's start praying. And my father has been a pastor and a district superintendent in the Nazarene Church, and my brother's a minister, and both of my brother-in-laws. And so usually when we're going through times of transition as a family, especially something that large, we call each other and begin to pray together. We didn't even call any of them. I said, let's just begin to pray. And uh, I'm a type A OCD person. Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like lists. I like, I like legal pads. I like lists. I like to plan my day out, usually days ahead of time. And if anything comes in my day I'm not expecting that turns my life upside down, then the whole day is ruined. Is that you? No, don't answer that. And if your spouse is sitting beside you, don't elbow them. That is not good. You will have a conversation after lunch today. So some of you have probably already done that. And uh, so I remember being at 835 Peony Lane in Bourbonnais, Illinois, at our kitchen table. And I had my legal pad out, and I was writing the pros and cons, the pros and cons of staying, the pros and cons of going, because I do believe there's times in our life where God allows us to choose, and he's going to be in whatever we choose. I do believe that. But I also believe there's times in our life where God calls us very specifically to do something, and if we don't say yes and step in that direction, we're walking out of his known will for our life. I believe that as well. And so as I was seated at that kitchen table writing the pros and cons, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking into my spirit and saying these words, Dwayne, lay down your pencil. You will never be able to figure me out at the end of a pencil. And how true is that for us in our lives? Even today, my temperament hasn't really changed. I'm still a type A OCD person. I still try to figure things out. They tell me where I live, they say, preacher, you're wound so tight. If we bounce you once, you bounce a thousand times before you start bouncing. I'm the kind of person when I go on vacation, which our family always does it every two years because we're all in ministry, and so all of the the grandkids and cousins and spouses go. There was about 30 of us this past summer at North Lake in Tennessee. They always look at me the night before and say, Dwayne, you're on vacation. You don't need to know what's going on tomorrow. It's okay. I'm that kind of person. And so in the middle of that, I knew that God was calling us to go. There was no doubt. And long story short, we moved the next spring and answered the call in the ministry to uh, the church that my, my grandfather had founded and pastored at some, and the church that my dad pastored at when I was born and raised was, was open at that time. And, and I went, and I interviewed, and they said yes to come, and that was an interesting conversation because part of the conversation and in interviewing with that church board was this, and I shared with them what I believe God was calling us to, and the call was not just to the church, but the call was to our people. You see, as it said on the video, it was the place in 1964 where President Johnson stood on the front porch of the Tom Fletcher home and declared the war on poverty. This is one of the pictures they took. It was on the front cover of Time and Life magazine, the poorest county in all of the country in 1964. Still today, 70 to 80% of the kids in our county live in poverty. It's pervasive. It's everywhere you look. It's all around you. And so that part of our story, we knew that God was doing this work 
And I told our church board, I said, if you call me, now most of them were family, so no matter what I said, they still had to love me, and I knew that. But I looked at them and I said, if you call me here, there's many people that will minister to that will never darken the doors of this church, but yet God still calls us to go. And so I said, if you don't want that to happen and you want a pastor just to kind of pastor the people that show up to the church, I said, don't call me. I said, it'll save you and me a lot of headache. I'm just trying to discern what God was calling me to do. I was praying that it was my Abraham and Isaac moment, you know, where where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him on the altar and God provided a ram in the thicket. And I was hoping God was seeing me saying, yep, I'm willing to go provide the ram in the thicket so I don't have to. And he didn't. And the church board called us and we went. But they understood our call was to our people. And so we moved in the summer of 2012 in June and July of 2012, we had our first work and witness team there, and so I began to pastor the church, and we would bring in about six to eight teams, work and witness teams every year, and I would lay my full-time pastor hat aside, and we would, we would engage our community, we would engage in our school district, we would engage with our local government, we would do work in and out of the hollers of eastern Kentucky and just love on people, and our church would host team members. So if we had a team of 25 come in, I would try to find five or six folks or homes that would be willing to, to host four or five people in their home for a week. And our church was very loving and caring and hospitable. But, you know, if you had a large team, it was hard to find homes for some of them. And so when we didn't find host homes, guess where they stayed? At the pastor and his wife's house. And the four kids. And so in the summer of 2014, we'd been doing this for two years. We had a group of about 54 come from College Church of the Nazarene in Bourbonnet, Illinois, mostly a youth group. And we could not find housing for 26 senior high girls. There was a reason why we couldn't find housing for 26 senior high girls. And so guess where they stayed? You got it at our house in our 2,000 square foot home. They had a bathroom and a half, and they were great. They did wonderful, but you host 26 senior high girls for a week, and let me know how it goes at the end of the week. It was crazy. Two or three days into that, I remember looking at my wife, Bethany, and I said, I know God has called us to this work, and God is blessing, and a lot of things are happening. I said, but if he wants us to continue this work, he's going to have to do something because this ain't working. And it wasn't long after that that a couple began to come to our church that was a part of a ministry called Appalachia Reach Out, a ministry that was started in 1972. A lady by the name of Miss Jo Boomsma, who was an educator, a single lady who was never married. She would come in the late 60s during the summer months when she wasn't teaching school out of Grand Rapids. And she would come in her 4x4 Jeep and she would go in and out of the hollers and tutor kids that needed special attention. And in 1972, God called her radically to quit her teaching position, and she moved to Martin County in Inez, Kentucky, and started the ministry of Appalachia Reach Out. Miss Joe was willing to put her yes on the table and allow God to ask the question. I remember Miss Joe as a little boy growing up into that community. It wasn't long after she started Appalachia Reach Out, she started another ministry called Christian Appalachian Home, that homes that work with abused children and their moms. And on Sunday nights, when I was a little boy, she would bring those mom moms and their children enter our church on a Sunday night service, and I can remember Miss Joe, wonderful lady of the Lord. But a couple named Bill and Jana Zydema, no, that is not a Martin County name, that is a Dutch Reformed name, out of western Michigan, Zeeland, Michigan, 
came uh, to minister at Appalachia Reach Out as their thrift store manager, and our sons were playing soccer together, and we had an active youth program. They had a daughter and two sons, and they wanted them to be a part of an active youth program, so they began to come to our church, and they recognized the work we were doing, and they said, you know what? We're a part of a ministry called Appalachia Reach Out. We have a facility that can host these teams, and so we started partnering with them, and two years within that partnership, I got a call from their board of directors out of Western Michigan, They said, would you come and meet with us? So I went to a little community outside of Grand Rapids called Cutlerville, and I met with them, and after them hearing our story, they looked at me and they said, most of us on the board are in our 70s and 80s, and we've served for decades. Our executive director is getting ready to retire in a year or two. Would you be interested if we gifted you the property and the buildings and cash assets for ministry? I said, I don't know. I'd have to go back and talk to my wife. And so my wife and I, for two years, we prayed about it. And long story short, in 2018, in the fall, with doors opening and doors, certain doors closing, we said yes to stepping out on faith, and we became a compassionate ministry center within the Church of the Nazarene. Now, of our nine board members, we have five denominations represented. We're not strictly Nazarene, but we are a Nazarene compassionate ministry. And so we began some, uh, putting some plans together, and in January of 2019, I stepped away from being the full-time pastor at Turkey Creek Church of the Nazarene and stepped into the role of executive director at Appalachia Reach Out. And with the work that we had already been doing for seven years, I knew there was key areas, as I mentioned on the video, that we wanted to focus on. Those areas were education, and God opened the doors, and it continues to open the doors for us to be in every public school in our county. It's nothing for us to be in those schools tutoring and loving on kids and encouraging teachers and administrators. You see, every school year when we start, we start with about 10 to 15 uncertified teachers because we can't get enough teachers who will come in and serve in that poor community. And so we do a lot of work with our education system. We believe if we're going to break the chain of generational poverty, it begins with a child at an early age. And so we do a lot of work with our children. The other area, as mentioned in Johnny Dell's story, is addiction recovery. We partner with the ministry called um, ARC, or Addiction Recovery Care. It was started by a gentleman who was a Martin Countyan who was a functioning alcoholic and in 2007 was done on a case in Lawrence County, just north of Martin County. As a prosecuting attorney, he walked into his office and he asked the bailiff, who's a Baptist minister, his name is Rick May, Rick's a good friend of mine. He said, would you take me off into a backfield somewhere and just take my life? He said, I'm done with living. And Rick said, let me tell you about a man named Jesus and led Tim to the Lord. And now in 2023, About 13 years ago, 14 years ago, God called Tim to sell his practice. And with a laptop, he started a recovery ministry that's Christian that now has over 40 facilities in the state of Kentucky, two being planted in Ohio and one in Virginia, has over 1,000 employees. You see, Johnny Dell's story, he went to one of these facilities that Tim started many years ago. God is in the business of connecting dots of impacting lives, seeing lives redeemed and restored and transformed. And so we partner with Addiction Recovery Care. We have an outpatient treatment facility on our campus. We have a women's 144-bed residential treatment facility in our county that I have the privilege of serving on the local advisory council. And we're watching as God is redeeming and restoring and transforming lives every day. Do you believe that God is still on the move? It is okay to say amen. I'm from Appalachia. They say it all the time in church service. 
The first, now, you guys are doing a little bit better. The first service, it was hard. But you guys are doing a lot better. There are good people in first service. Don't tell them I said that. They'll get upset with me. But as you watch people that were literally the walking dead come back to life, there's nothing like it. When they give their life to the Lord and you so slowly watch as life comes back into their body, as Jesus redeems and restores and transforms. And as I said on the video, I will never forget the year of 2010 when I got the call in the spring. This was before we even moved and we were at Olivet that my first cousin, my dad's nephew, my dad's brother's son, died of a drug overdose. In the fall of that same year, my dad's brother who fought in Vietnam, came back never the same, died of an overdose that fall. So when I say that I don't know of a family in Martin County that has not been impacted by the abuse and use of drugs and alcohol, I'm meeting my own family. And so it was when we began to pastor at Turkey Creek in 2013 that we'd been there a year that we had read a book called Sun Stand Still. It was based on Joshua chapter 10 about when God calls Joshua to defeat the Amorite armies and he's in the middle of that happening. And as he's doing that, he prays to the Lord and says, God, if you want me to do what you've called me to do, you need to stop the sun in its place so I can accomplish what you've called me to do. And that book basically says, do we believe that's the same God that we serve today? That the same God of Joshua 10 is the same God that we serve today, now in 2023, back then it was 2013, and I had our board, our leadership team read that, and on our retreat, I asked them the question, and the question was this, what is the prayer that if we, we begin to pray, if God doesn't show up, it's not answered? And they came back to me and they said, let's pray that God would obliterate the drug culture in Martin County. You see, the opioid crisis that has impacted our world, we're at ground zero where we live. And so we began to pray the prayer, and as we prayed that prayer, we decided let's begin to meet at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. This past August was 10 years ago that we began to pray. And one of the people that we began to pray for on those Sunday nights, and we had no idea what we were praying about, but we do believe what Scripture says, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their ways, Scripture says, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive them of their sin, and I will heal their land. And I believe God is still in the business of doing those kinds of things, that he's still in the business of doing the impossible. And so no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're walking through today, I want you to know this, God has not lost his sight of you. That God still loves you and God still cares for you and he cares for that family member, that son, that daughter, that mom, that dad, that grandchild, that neighbor, whoever it is, God still sees them. So don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Pray and believe that God can do what he says in scripture he can do. Because here is what happened. We began to pray in, in August of 2013 and like any good Nazarene ministry that you began, it grew from 40 to 6 after about six months. But we kept meeting and we kept praying because scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be among you. And so we kept praying and one of the first people that we began to pray for was John Waller. John was, a, was the son of a free will Baptist preacher, 40-year addict, married to Jennifer, four children, beautiful children. And John's sister, Sonia, came to our church, and one of the first names that we put on our prayer list was, let's pray for John. 
August of 13, we began to pray for John, and every Sunday at 5 o'clock, we would pray for John and some other prayer requests, and it was in January of 2014 that, that John decided, I need to get my life right. He went to Bell Grove Men's Residential Treatment Facility in Fleming County, Kentucky, the one center that Tim Robinson, who was a functioning alcoholic a few years before, had started. John got his life back together and came home, and God began to redeem and restore his marriage with Jennifer, and it wasn't long after that, as I was still pastoring the church, that John called me, and he said, hey, we're going to start this ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Have you heard of it? And I said, absolutely, I've heard of it. He said, I know our community is small, and not one church can take it on, but do you believe the Ministerial Association can help? And I said, absolutely, and so will Turkey Creek Church of the Nazarene. This month, we will celebrate six years on Tuesday night as we gather at the Inez Free Will Baptist Church Family Life Center, that we gather on Tuesday nights, and we have seen over 500 people come to Jesus through that work. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Johnny Dale shows up every Tuesday night. He's now in leadership of that ministry it is amazing to see what God does. We, we see anywhere from 140 to 160 show up every Tuesday night. And I believe that your church is praying through and thinking about starting this. I want you to know, get involved, be a part of it. It's not just for those who are dealing with substance abuse. It's with, for anyone that has hurts, hang-ups, or habits. Hello, do you have a hurt? Do you have a hang-up? Do you have a habit? That's all of us. We walk on those roads, and God's desire is to redeem and restore, and I tell our folks all the time that come in and work alongside of us, I said, Tuesday night will impact your life. I, I love going to Tuesday night services when I can get there, because I walk in those doors, and I know there is no judgment as soon as I step through those doors, and God is redeeming. We have seen God do some amazing things. I'll never forget Jamie Jude. Jamie is related to me. When we moved to Turkey Creek, he grew up in the Turkey Creek Church of the Nazarene. He literally was skin and bones and walked the roads. And in February, five years ago, he gave his life to the Lord and began the road of recovery. And this past February, he spoke at our Celebrate Recovery, just has been named as a director of the women's residential treatment facility called White Oak Hill. And it's named after the good old Ralph Stanley bluegrass song, White, the white oak, hill on, uh, white oak Tree on the Hill. God is redeeming and restoring. We do work and witness teams. Since January, 21 of, uh, January 1 of 2021, we've had 85 work teams in our county of Martin County. That's 1,200 people. That's an impact of $1.5 million back in our local economy because they come in with their dollars to do home projects and school projects and local government projects and all kinds of stuff because we believe God has created us holistically. Sure, we minister to the spiritual need, but we're not separated from our spiritual need when it comes to our relational needs and our, and our financial needs and all of those things. And so we try to tackle problems to help people. I told someone the other day, in my 30 years of doing ministry, it's the hardest work we've ever done, but it's the most rewarding work we've ever done. And God is blessing, and God is doing amazing, amazing things. I want to share a, a passage of Scripture with you in closing today. It comes from Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. I shared this with the first service. It was kind of coming out of that 
real hard hit of COVID. I don't think we're really ever out of it, but we were coming out of it that year of 2020 into 2021. We had to cancel or postpone over 20-some teams coming in to serve alongside of us. It impacted everybody, I know, in a great way. I was pretty discouraged. I'd been doing this work for a year and a half or so by that time, and I was at my home office in Inez where we had built a home when we knew God had called us to Appalachia Reach Out. And as I was seated there, one of our biggest supporters, prayer supporters, financial supporters, sent me a message, and it was this passage of Scripture, which I use a lot in my own life. It says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I don't know about you, but growing up in Appalachia, you guys remember what a well was? You remember those wells? I remember when I had to go fetch water, fetch water at my, my granny's place. And we would have to drop that bucket with that chain and with that pulley all the way down and hit a hit. And you'd pull it up and you'd have the ladle. To, and there was nothing as refreshing on a hot summer day than to drop that thing down. And a fresh well was deep in the ground and pulling that water up and drinking that water. There's still some of those wells around today in Martin County. It was refreshing. It brought life. It brought strength. And when I read those words, I said, I've got to share this as I travel the country and speak about the work that God is doing. And I want you to know today, whatever you're facing, whatever you're walking through, whatever difficult situation you might be dealing with in your life, that God promises you will draw water from the wells of salvation. His word says his promises are true. They are yes and amen. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am so thankful for the promises that he gives us each day. I'm so thankful to be able to be here today. And so one of the things that I want to do as we close is just share something with you. And uh, I, again, I told the first, first service this. If you get upset about this, you can blame it on your pastor. He told me I could do this, okay? So I'm going to be leaving here in a few moments and probably not. I might see some of you depending on, uh, on when our paths cross again because I believe they will. But out, out in the foyer area to my left, we have this prayer guide that's out there. Foundational to all the work that we do is prayer. We need prayer. This is not an exhaustive list, but it gives you some direction on how you can pray for us. We, we printed it out this way so you could put it on your kitchen refrigerator or whatever you see on a daily basis and when you look up we just say hey would you pray for us this this is a prayer guide now this is the part that you can get upset with him he told me i could do this on the back side is ways that you can give uh, we could not do it without the partners that we have all over the country churches individuals families they they support us in the work that we do and when we have churches come and do the work and partner with us in ministry, they see the work we're doing, and usually that's, that's a good thing for us because they recognize it and say, hey, we want to be a part of what God's doing there in Appalachia. And so I would just ask you, as you're praying, that you would pray about, God, do, do we want to do something on an individual basis, whatever that could look like? I don't care if it's $1 or $1,000. I don't care. Every cent that is given makes an impact for God's kingdom. I believe that with all of my heart. I have seen it over and over and over again. A story of an older couple that began to give to our ministry out of Hunting, uh, Huntington, Indiana. I'll never forget getting their first check. They sent it to us, and I opened it up. It was a check for $10. 
And every month, they would send us a check for $10. Uh, eventually, I got a call from this family, and <clears throat> they shared with me, hey, we're the, and they gave, us, gave me their name, and they said, we're coming through there. We'd like to stop and see your campus. Can we do that? And then at the time, he said, now, he told me, he said, we're in our 80s, and we're giving all that we can right now, but we want to stop and see what we're giving to. And so they stopped, and we gave them a tour and showed them some of our people, connected them, met them. They got back in their vehicle as we had time, uh, as we had a time of prayer, and they left and went back to Hunting, Huntington, Indiana. The next month, I opened up the envelope, and they had gone from 10 to $20 a month. Every penny matters in the work that we do. It's so vitally important. So if you do pray about that and decide to give, I just want to say thank you for that. I want to pray a prayer over you as I close today. If you'd bow your heads with me, it's a prayer that I've been praying for a number of years now. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day and your many blessings and how you love us and care for us today. I thank you for what your word says to us that you desire to fulfill your purpose in our lives. Lord, I know that there's people here today who might be going through a difficult time or maybe trying to figure out what that purpose looks like for them. I pray that you would just remind them today that, that as long as they have breath, you can use them. We know that the adversary would love to come in and distract us and destroy us from what you would have for us. But Lord, we believe what your word says, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Lord, today I pray that you would bind Satan's hands. I pray that you'd put a hedge of protection around each individual person that's here, each family. Pray that you put a hedge of protection around uh, Pastor Brian and his family and the other pastoral staff that are a part of this and volunteers and Sunday school teachers and, and leadership team of Marysville Church of the Nazarene here in Marysville, Ohio. And Lord, we end our prayer by this prayer. I pray that you would help us today to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to set God-sized goals, to, to pursue God-ordained passions, to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Lord, would you help us to keep asking questions? And Lord, as we're doing that and we step out on faith, there's times that we're going to, be keep, that we're going to keep making mistakes, but help us, Lord, in that process. Lord, may we keep seeking you with all of our heart. May we stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. May we stop repeating the past and start creating the future. May we stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us, begin in me first, to expand our horizons. Help us to accumulate experiences, to enjoy the journey, to find every excuse we can, to celebrate everything that we can. And Lord, may we live like today is the first day and the last day of our lives. And don't let what's wrong with me keep me from worshiping what's right with you. And, and if needed in our lives today, Lord, would you burn sinful bridges? Would you blaze new trails? Don't let fear dictate our decisions. And Lord, help us to take a flying leap of faith. It's time for us to quit holding back. Lord, it's time for us to push all of our chips to the middle of the table. Lord, it's time to ante up all of our faith. Lord, it's time for us to go all in. Lord, it's time to go all out. Lord, it's time for us to go. Amen. The Lord's been working on my heart these last several weeks and months together. Just simply say this. Been in ministry now 20 plus years, and perhaps now more than ever, lost people will matter. 
that's going to show up in my life and my ministry. As a, as a result, it's going to impact you. So I just pray that, that you will be praying along with me as to what that will look like for us. We'd be willing to put our yes on the table before God even asks the question. The most memorable moments in my life when it comes to ministry are those when people are saved, come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ whose lives are not the worship services where we feel God's presence. Those are great things. Don't get me wrong. It's not the moments at camp or the experiences that we go through or the things that we do socially together. Those are important. The moments that resonate the deepest with me are when I've knelt in prayer with others who have found salvation. I miss that. I hope that you do too. God is still at work. Harvest is still plentiful. And I pray we anticipate being a part. That's my heart. I know you're going to be hearing more about that in the weeks ahead. God's still working some things out in me. And I look forward to seeing what that's going to look like, what he's going to do in and through us. One way we're going to stay connected to Appalachia Reach Out is next summer. We have an opportunity for you. Uh, the work and witness opportunities that Dwayne was talking about. We're going to be going to their West Virginia site in Summersville, West Virginia, July 6th through the 12th. And we don't have all the details worked out about that. We have the dates worked out. Uh, but we're going to be taking a team of, of 25. Uh, Rich Mills, who, who his wife Thelma, who I'm good friends with. They're part of my faith family in Weirton, West Virginia. Uh, they now uh, oversee and, and, and lead uh, the ARO site in Summersville as far as the work teams go. Uh, he's promised that yeah, he, he can even take up to 30 if we have 30. But here's my hope. is that They have more than one week available. I would love to have 40, 45, 50 that would be interested in going. And we could take two weeks and send some people down to invest. Uh, not just uh, to give to them, but see what God might give to us through, through just being willing. So we're, we have some more information, uh, even beginning tomorrow, through our, our weekly email, on our, on our Facebook page, on our, on our website. There will be a, a link you can tap just to express interest. You're not committing. You're not, you're not, you're not saying, I'm, I'm going to do this, but you're just interested in what this might look like. And we'll have more details coming in the weeks and months ahead. But Summersville matters to me because uh, ARO is, is, shares a site with the West Virginia Nazarene campground there. And when I was 16 years old, that's where I came to the saving grace, knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we get, you get to go back to a place that really has helped your pastor become who he is today. That may not matter much to you. I hope it does. It matters to me. Uh, but it's a place that needs hope. It needs Jesus. This is going to be the first step of our church getting uncomfortable going out in the harvest fields and being a part of what God wants to do. So Dwayne's already prayed for us. I'm going to give him some time. If you have questions for him, I want to talk to him. He'll be out in the well area after, the ch after church today. I want to thank you for allowing yourselves to be stretched this morning. And, um, who knows what God's going to do in, in these, these early days as we become a people that anticipate the harvest. Go this week, share your story, engage in spiritual conversations. Let God work through you. God bless you. Thank you.